And uh, I'm happy that I haven't had to buy fat pants ever in at least 10 years. All of the negative things that you think and say and do are the result of your stupid body trying to keep you from being in danger because it doesn't know you're in charge. In fact, it doesn't even believe you're in charge. So dropping emotions that aren't serving you, that come up unbidden, is a massive way to free yourself. You know, I stay up late, I put myself in a very specific thing and I'll write for four hours straight, uninterrupted, and I'm just finishing my, my next book. And when you do what you're supposed to be doing, it is effortless. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't take very much energy. It's like there's something pushing you in that direction instead of you pushing against something. And that's where to get started. Know why you're here and what, you're, what you want to be doing. Make sure that you black out your window, put foil up in your window if you have to, but make it so when you wake up in the morning, you can't see anything and watch what happens to your quality of sleep. Unplug all the little blinky lights and crap like that. Put your phone in airplane mode, turn off your Wi-Fi, see what happens. And that alone, if you do that every night, can make you a better human being. Hi, and welcome to the 200th episode of the I Love Success podcast. What started as a passion project in 2016 has now become an obsession. An obsession to dig deep into the personal stories of the thought leaders and game changers of the world so that you and I can excel in our own lives, redefine success, and live a happy and fulfilling life. Today marks our 200th episode, and there are so many people I would like to thank. Too many to mention here, so I'll make it short. Thank you to every kind human being I've met along the way that has made this journey possible. A big shout out to you that are watching and listening. The I Love Success podcast would be nothing without you. This show has truly changed my life for the better, and I hope you can say the same thing. This is why I do it. And today is actually a full circle moment for me because the whole reason I started my podcast is because of Brian Rose from London Real. Back in Sweden, I used to listen to his amazing conversations and dream myself away. I heard him talk about some kind of coffee with grass-fed butter in that were supposed to be good for you and also tasted delicious, and that they had just opened a location on Main Street in Santa Monica. Now, half a decade later, Bulletproof Coffee has become a routine for me, and which guest could possibly be better for our 200th anniversary than the founder himself? Dave Asprey, the father of biohacking. Dave is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur that was fed up with being overweight and unhealthy. So he started investing in himself and his health. He's the founder of Bulletproof Coffee that has served over 200 million cups, multiple New York Times bestseller, and the host of the award-winning podcast, Bulletproof Radio, with over 175 million downloads. But not only that, he's a father, a husband, and an overall kick-ass human being aiming to be at least 180. So let's welcome Dave Asprey to the show. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Super excited. It's so funny, you know, when I when you start reach, researching people, I figured out and learned that your wife is Swedish and she's Yet a doctor. Bra. Yet the bra. I'm Swedish. My wife is actually <laughs> a Swedish and a doctor as well from Stockholm. So and it's funny what you learn when you, you know, dig deep into the human lives of yeah. us. Uh, so I want to I dig deep today and kind of honor your journey. So can we just kind of go back and, and talk heart to heart? When you were like obese, overweight, you had the man boobs, you were kind of smart uh, doing your thing. Like, What was it that 
what was that moment that you decided I need to change something in my life? You get sort of frustrated when you're, you're fat. Uh, everyone who's fat knows it. You don't need a scale. Uh, you just need either your pants or a mirror. <laughs> and so you don't like it. You say, oh, it's just a few pounds and you can explain it away. Uh, but then you get to a certain point where, like, okay, this is more than a few pounds, but you can still explain it away because you've got a job, you've got stuff to do, you're already in a relationship, whatever. But then what they don't tell you about being overweight like that is that when you have all that extra fat on your body, it's a sign of inflammation. It's, it's actually that the food and air that you're eating are not combining to make energy for your willpower and for your immune system to work and for your brain to work they're actually getting shunted off somewhere else because something's broken biologically. And that leak of power and energy makes you tired. It makes you cranky. It makes you more reactive. And I got to the point where I was having cognitive dysfunction and I got tired of being in pain all the time. And sure, I, I could lose 25 pounds and I could gain it back with 35 pounds and you could just do it over and over and over. And the, the whole time you're suffering, like you're hungry. And one of the things for me, that stood out a lot was I was at a, a Carl's Jr., a fast food restaurant. I haven't eaten fast food in many God, decades, but I was maybe 24, 23, something like that. And I look around, I'm like, wait a minute. I have gone to the gym six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights, half cardio. Didn't matter if I was sick, didn't matter if I only slept two hours, I was gonna go to the gym. And I'd been on a low fat, low calorie diet and I looked around at all my friends. I'm eating the chicken salad with no dressing because it has fat in it and no chicken because it has too many calories. And I was like, I mean, like lettuce. <laughs> my friends are eating double Western bacon cheeseburgers, you know, with cheese and bacon and all the good stuff everywhere. And I just thought, wait, I work out more than all my friends. I eat less than all my friends. I'm still a 46 inch waist. I'm fat. How is this, how is this even possible? Uh, and at that point, I just realized it's probably not a moral failing because I'm actually doing the work. It's, well, maybe I am eating too much lettuce, but I don't think so. It must be something else. And I started looking at things that might work because doing what was supposed to work didn't work. And so many times uh, when I've also interviewed you know, 700 and, and something uh, game changers on Bulletproof Radio, my podcast, quite often they got to a point where, well, I did what was supposed to work. It didn't work. And, and it's measuring results, seeing what works. And so that was one of the many things that led to the creation of biohacking where it's like, look, you can measure it. If it doesn't work, try something else and try the stuff that's most commonly believed to work. Like, oh, lowering your cholesterol, it doesn't do anything for you. In fact, it's probably bad for you <laughs> depending on what, what you're doing there. So then you start looking at the data and you look at your own data and say, wow, my brain has the response time of a 20-year-old, and mine actually does. <laughs> my arteries are the age of a 24-year-old based on pulse wave velocity. And there's all these things you can do. And, you know, if people are going to tell me that, oh, putting butter in your coffee could kill you, like I've been doing it for 10 plus years, and I'm healthier now than I ever have been, and things work better. And I can tell you the 16 different reasons it works. And some of that's even based on university research that I funded now about basic water chemistry that no one knew about. So... Look, if it seems to work and you can measure that it works, you can keep doing it. It's okay. And that's, that was the mindset I took. And uh, I'm happy that I haven't had to buy fat pants ever in at least 10 years. Yeah, I'm happy too. And can we just talk about like, I love the data, the biohacking, all of that. What, what I try to you know, focus a lot on is the mind. Like what was going on in your mind during that time, you know, 
because you're in that age, you, you want to date, you want to do stuff. And like, there's, there's something missing, right? And how did you work on the confidence and how did that build up once you did find a, a system that worked for you? Uh, that, uh, that's a funny question. If, if I really look at back on it, I had so much cognitive dysfunction uh, as, a, as a kid that uh, I would have qualified to be on the Asperger's syndrome. And I never was formally tested back when my brain was like that. But let's see, my grandmother's a PhD nuclear engineer, my grandfather's a PhD chemist, and everyone on one side of the family is Asperger's. So lots of engineers. So what I did is what any good Silicon Valley Asperger-like engineer would do. I went to a networking group, a business networking group. I stood in the corner in my 46-inch waist pants and watched what people did until I could learn like the, the socialization and networking skills that were required. Because what I figured out was, hey, um, if I'm going to go make good stuff, uh, if I can't communicate it, then it won't work. And I'd already seen this in Silicon Valley. You can make great stuff, but if no one knows that you made it, you still failed. So for me, part of it was to gain confidence was just watching things and then practicing, you know, in a Thursday night networking group on the Stanford campus. I didn't go to Stanford, but they had, you know, a, a business thing for the, the birth of the Silicon Valley.com web era people. We could go hang out. So that was part of it. Um, but then there's still that really mean voice in your head and uh, newsflash. <laughs> if you're in your 20s, you probably have it. It's normal. And it's, it's a mean little like psychotic voice. And what I did that probably made the most difference was I started working on the physical side of things. And and this is missing from most of the personal development literature. It's mostly in my book called Headstrong, where I talk about the dynamics of this. Your willpower is based on electrons, which is based on air and food. So if you're doing a bad job biologically of making electrons, you will do a bad job of managing the voice in your head. So if you want to reprogram that thing, you want to do any personal development work, if you can make more electrons, personal development work gets easier, whether you're beginning or advanced. And the easiest and simplest hack, and now I'm going to sound like I'm selling something, um, Peter, whether or not you or anyone listening buys Bulletproof or not, it won't change my life. So I have no, no meaningful personal motive in doing this. Bulletproof coffee is a very quick way to change the amount of electrons available in your body because of one of the ingredients called, it's a certain subtype of MCT oil called brain octane. Look, it makes your brain work better like, because it gives you more electrons, at least if it gives you more electrons. That's, that's the intent behind that, that in the beverage. So you do that and all of a sudden, oh, I have a little bit more energy and you can use that then to meditate or to do deep breathing exercises. In my case, I'll go to South America, do ayahuasca with a shaman back when... I could show up and they'd say, um, you're white. Uh, That's only for local people. Like no one ever wants to do that. You'll throw up. Why would you do that? And I say, yeah, I recognize that I'm white, but I've, uh, you know, I'd like to try this. And now it's a tourist industry. So ayahuasca has become kind of a hip thing, even though it's uh, rigorous and probably um, a lot of people do it without appropriate spiritual guidance. So I did that. And then I went to Tibet to learn meditation from the masters. I said, I'm going to do these things after I got enough of my biology working. A lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm fat, I'm tired, I have a mean voice in my head and I yell at people around me and I have bad relationships and whatever the voice in your head says. And so I'm going to go work on those. <laughs> Newsflash, work on your energy first because you have more energy. You can suddenly say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'll be nice to my boss when he yells at me instead of you know, flying off the handle because you know where that's going to go. So self-control came about from having more energy. Uh, and in my case, the biggest progress on just turning off the voice in my head has come from advanced neurofeedback to the point I started a company in that space. It's called 40 Years of Zen. 
where people come and spend five days of doing intensive neurofeedback work with hardware that we designed that you glue electrodes to your head. And then it actually lets you see when the voice in your head is rearing itself. And you can say, oh, that's actually not me. That's my automated systems. And you find out, Peter, that all of the negative things that you think and say and do are the result of your stupid body trying to keep you from being in danger because it doesn't know you're in charge. In fact, it doesn't even believe you're in charge. You know, uh, they, you know what pisses me off? You know, I, I was an elite athlete for many years. Uh, I was an eight-time national champion in karate and a world medalist. And wow. one thing that pisses me off, I didn't know any of this. My coaches didn't know any of it's this. It's not taught. This, this is like original. This, like I wanted, I wanted to know this like from my coach. Like why is this not bigger in, you know, especially in, uh, in high peak performance? Well, here's why, Peter. There's two ways you can, uh, you can accelerate your growth. One is you can run away from something, right? And the other one is you can run towards something. <laughs> and it's more work to run away from something, but it works exceptionally well. So the beginning of my career, look, I, I'm going to tell you how well this works. I made $6 million when I was 26. Okay, I lost when I was 28, oops. <laughs> but I had a brief period of wealth there, that was, which was really nice and helped to fund some of my self-experiments. But I was deaf, just deathly afraid of failure, right? So if you will do everything in, in your power to run away from failure, and the reason people are afraid of failure is it's really straightforward. It's all biological and it's programmatic and it's, it's based on rules. I'm a computer science guy. So it's based on an algorithm for life. And I'll tell you what the whole algorithm is in a minute. But the most important thing is don't die. And, and your body knows without you thinking about it that if you're not a part of the tribe, no one will feed you and the tigers and lions will eat you and you'll die. Right? So that's why we're afraid of failure. So you, you don't think about this. It's built in. It's automatic. It's outside the brain. It's in subcellular components throughout the body that roll their behavior up into what you feel. And so, God, failure is impossible. I will beat myself up to you know, be the best in the world. And the whole time you'll be telling yourself, I'm not good enough. I'm a bad person. If I don't do this, no one's going to love me. Like, you know, I'll never go out on a date and blah, 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 blah. Well, the other thing you could do is you could say, I don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> like, I want to do this because I want to be the best in the world. Like, I want to make a meaningful impact. I want to inspire people. I want to do what I want to do. And it's actually way less work to do that because what they haven't taught you as a professional athlete and what they don't teach anywhere is that the voice in your head costs you electrons. So if you can shut up the voice in your head, the energy that went into that goes somewhere and it goes into either folding proteins properly so you can live longer or it goes into your willpower so you can persevere and you can be more resilient and you can be stronger, faster, smarter, better, or you can just be more giving, more kind, you know, more calm. Whatever your goal is, it's free energy that's just wasted with these little eddies in your mind that don't even do anything. You want to know the algorithm for life? Yeah, you know, I'm trying. What I'm trying to do here is to redefine success. So any any help I can get, uh, I truly appreciate it. All right. And this came to me after I wrote uh, Headstrong. This was my book. I went really deep on mitochondria in the brain. So this is a book on how do you keep your brain working better than it's supposed to. And it hit the New York Times monthly bestseller list between Homo Deus and Sapiens, along with the Secret Life or the Hidden Life of Trees. And I was like, wow, I never imagined as an author. Um, that one of my books would hit you know, the big list, uh, which was a, a serious honor. 
and there's huge numbers of references, but the mindset of, okay, let's look at how our, our bodies make energy and let's pay attention to these tiny ancient bacteria. And here's the, the sad history of how we got to be who we are. A couple billion years ago, there's some bacteria floating around and there's some other cells floating around, probably some kind of parasite. We're not really sure what. Well, the two met. And we like to say, oh, we uh, were the cell and these bacteria, we harnessed them to be our mobile power plants and they're called mitochondria. Now, the story from the mitochondria's perspective is, hey, we were floating around, we found these dumb mobile Petri dishes, we moved right in, we took over and we're still in charge. (laughs) You have this conflicting basis for what you are because you're, you're actually every cell, most cells in your body are stuck together where you have um, tens to hundreds to even thousands of these ancient bacteria studded within a cell. And you think about that, do bacteria have an algorithm to stay alive? They have to. Everything alive does and everything shares the same algorithm. And what an algorithm is, is just a set of instructions you follow in order to solve a problem. And the problem is how do I make sure the species survives? So number one, whether you're a cactus, a zebra, a slime mold, it does not matter. Number one, run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. And this is really important because if you die right now, it's game over. So you will put 10 times more energy behind things you're afraid of. That's why you remember them better. That's why you respond to them better. And that's why fear of failure leads to procrastination and leads you to do all sorts of things that you wish you hadn't done later. Number two, okay, nothing's trying to eat me right now. What should I do? Well, so if the first one is fear, the second one is food. Because famine has killed every species throughout its history when there's not enough food available. So you eat everything. And this is why when you're fat and you're not making enough energy, the voice in your head screams really loud, eat the donut, eat the donut, eat the donut, until you're just like, I run out of willpower, I'm going to eat the donut. Right? It's not that you're a bad person. Willpower is powered by electrons. You didn't eat the donut. You're not storing, you're storing electrons instead of using them, et cetera, et cetera. You're going you're gonna to lose. The donut will win every single time. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're a person. So... Fear and then food. So run away from kill or hide, eat everything. Okay, third thing, it's also an F word. You know what it is? Yeah, I think so. What is it? <laughs> Maybe F-U-C-K. <laughs> oh, Peter, I was thinking fertility, but hey, wherever you want to go, Peter. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> By the way, that's what everyone says. So, okay, I, nothing's trying to kill me. My stomach is full. I think I'll get some. Why? Because if you don't reproduce the species, it's the end of life. Yeah. Right? And that's your body beliefs. Now, have you ever done something you're ashamed of that wasn't from one of those three things? No. Well, there you go. None of those are actually you. Those are automated defense systems from ancient bacteria that are the puppet masters in your body. It also turns out that those ancient mitochondria are the first line environmental sensors and they make hormones. They don't just make electrons. They're not just power plants. They're sensors that exquisitely, trillions of them throughout the body, actually quadrillions if I'm remembering my research right, throughout the body are sensing the environment all the time and changing you in response to the environment based on their stupid algorithm. And because they're dumb little bacteria, they don't understand, actually, that's not a threat. That's my teacher. (laughs) Right? They don't get that. The teacher looks like something that might have been a threat when you were two. They'll fire off a little threat response. It'll cost you energy. So part of becoming a highly functioning human being is having really good pattern matching. So before you become aware of something, it runs through a distributed set of patterns throughout your body. 
right? And each time it's filtering out information. Oh, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that. I should respond to that. I shouldn't respond to that. Oh, I think I'm injured. And it's a local belief of an injury. And funny, you can hack all of that stuff. So the definition of biohacking I came up with was the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so they have full control of your own biology. You change the inputs. So if the dumb little cells in your body are worried about something or their timing system is off, you can change the timing system with the color of light that goes in, with the temperature, by what you eat, when you eat, by deep breaths, um, all kinds of things. And then the environment within you is you turn off the pattern matching. All of us learn when we're young, certain things are threats that aren't actually threats. And then we still have a threat response. Waste energy, makes you old, makes you think you're a jerk, puts bad voices in your head, all that stuff. And there's the sum of knowledge of humanity. At this point, I've interviewed Nobel Prize winners, people have discovered fields, actually multiple fields in medicine and psychology and therapy. Uh, and it all agrees, whether it's ancient Tibetan stuff, ancient Chinese stuff, or the most recent transpersonal psychology stuff, what you end up with is... There's a lot going on in there that's useless and can be reprogrammed. So my algorithm from the 40 years of Zen uh, training program, after having done a lot of work around the planet, was, okay, I'm going to hook a computer up to my head or to, to clients' heads, and we're going to show you when the voice in your head is lying to you. So you're going to sit down, you're going to do a specific type of meditation, and you're going to think about something. When you do, your brainwaves are going to change, and they're going to change for the negative. You know, there you go. You are responding with a threat response to something you didn't know about. How are you going to turn off a threat response? You could cognitively catch it and say, oh, I know. This is what they teach you in a lot of psychology. Oh, I know that I'm feeling fear. I'm just going to accept that I'm having a feeling, right? And then I'm going to go do it anyway. Thumbs up. Okay, that's a win. That's much higher level of enlightenment than most people. Wouldn't it be better though, if you could say, oh, you know what? I know that I have a threat response or just a reaction. Now I know because I can see it in my brain was I didn't actually feel very much because it was subtle. So rather than learning to feel it and then learning to accept it and let it flow through me so that I can you know, make the next block, the next move, or I can do the next big thing, or I can proceed in spite of the fear. What if you turned off the pattern matching, you turned off the switch that led to the fear in the first place because it was an inappropriate fear that didn't match reality? And that's what I've done for myself over the course of months. Most people just go for five days. But that's one of the reasons I started uh, the 40 Years of Zen program is that I can uh, go in and I've, at this point, the voice in my head doesn't do things like that anymore because I found the vast majority of things that were even micro triggers to make my brain get off of what it was doing. Uh, and I said, oh, what does that come from? And the algorithm there, it's really funny. Um, you go through, and this is part of our, our reset process that we do. We put the brain in a very specific state that uh, we built the hardware and software to do it. So you're sitting there, you learn the skill. Okay, now I'm feeling this thing. And then I'm going to go through and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to find something I'm grateful for about this horrible thing I'm worried about. And I've had people come through with the biggest fears, like fully, highly functional, wealthy, successful. I run companies. I'm a big actor, I'm a sports star, people like that, they'll come through. And it always comes down to, you know, I haven't thought about this in years, but in first grade, little Johnny was mean to me, right? And he punched me. And I don't know why it just popped into my head, but when I think about it, my brainwaves go nuts. You're like, well, there you go. So little Johnny taught your body that something wasn't safe and your stupid body believed it for 50 years. And maybe now there's a way to go back and erase that. So you can still remember a little Johnny if you want to, but you don't have any emotions associated with it. So dropping emotions that aren't serving you 
that come up unbidden is a massive way to free yourself. The hard thing that I, you know, what I'm really trying to do is I know there's someone out there listening to this show right now that are, you know, they have all these dreams like you had once upon a time and still have, but they're stuck. You know, they're stuck in a job. Maybe they're alone. They they feel they don't have that energy that you're talking about to take the next step. Where do you start? Uh, <laughs> if you don't know where to start and just know that you got to change something in your life. Well, there, there's two ways to go about it. One of them is just hit rock bottom. <laughs> We're like, I am so miserable, I don't know what to do. In fact, this is where a lot of people end up going on a personal development path. They're like, I just got divorced. I just lost all my money. Uh, by the way, I've done both of those. Um, I, I just, you know, got really, really sick. Um, I, I lost a loved one. I got into a severe depression or, or whatever the thing is. And you're, you're just like, anything I do from here is better. That is not the preferred way of doing it. But sometimes that's what it takes to make you just finally get up and do it. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can actually say, I'm going to commit to a process of personal development. Right? And then you say, all right, what's within my financial means? What's within my time means? And who around will teach me? Because it just happens that there are lots of people who've gone down this path before you. In fact, there are people who've done it for thousands of years and written it down. And you can start doing yoga. You can start doing breathing exercises. And I've written about breathing, um, geez, since my very first book, um, The Art of Living Exercises, uh, Pranayama. So in other words, just pick one. Right and sure, do some neurofeedback. Do the some of the biohacking stuff. Monitor your sleep. Say this mindset that is a core part of the bulletproof lifestyle. It's like I'm going to do something to make myself better every day. It doesn't mean you have to go do 15 pull-ups or you know go run a marathon every day. One simple thing, and it can be really simple. I read three pages of a book on meditation or a book on you know stoicism or whatever you wanted to do. You just have to check that box. And that's the same mindset that the Navy SEALs have, you know, be a little bit better. So instead of committing to a specific goal, so then it's binary, oh, I'm going to fail. I'm never going to eat a carb again, by the way, that's a stupid goal. But if you, you get into that, then you're going to fail and then you're going to fail and eat the entire cake. But if your goal is I'm going to commit to a process that I follow every day that allows for some deviations, but I'm still in the process, fine, you ate some cake today, you did something else, you meditated for 20 minutes. So I checked the box of doing something to make myself better every day, even if I screwed up on something else. And that is, is something you can get behind. Um, the easiest thing, depending on your age as well, is probably to focus on what's your life's purpose. <laughs> and uh, we have ways of doing that. So for people who don't know their life's purpose, it's very common when you're young to find someone who's doing something cool and say, I'll do what that person's doing. And you can join a team, right? And you can follow the leader of the team on doing that. And that's a really healthy way uh, to figure out how to move in a certain direction. But the odds are you're going to feel like that's your life's purpose, but it may not be your life's purpose. So borrowing someone else's life's purpose is a bad idea. It's got to be your life purpose. So learn from others, ask for help, ask for mentorship, but then commit to time journaling, time alone. And what we used to do is we'd say, hey, son, you're 12 or 13. Guess what? We're going to drop you off in the middle of nowhere with a knife and a loincloth. And if you're lucky, a little flint, um, when you know what your life's purpose is, come back. And we have a vision, come back. Uh, and I've done the vision quest in a cave all by myself in the desert for four days and stuff like that. Uh, and it can be really valuable. But if you're not spending time with just yourself, 
going really deep on journeying, breathing, meditating. Um, neurofeedback will definitely do that for you, uh, at least the altered states kind of neurofeedback. Uh, or talking with people who know your elders from whatever tradition you come from. There's a reason we have rabbis and priests and shamans and really spiritual advanced energy worker therapists and people like that. They're all over the place. They'll help you tune in on what it is. And it doesn't have to be necessarily what you love, but you're like, why do you think you're here? And once you get that, you can then spread your wings and it becomes one of those things instead of running away from fear, you're like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And when you do what you're supposed to be doing, it is effortless. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't take very much energy. It's like there's something pushing you in that direction instead of you pushing against something. And that's where to get started. Know why you're here and what, you're, what you want to be doing. Love that. Dave, uh, I know you got to go. You have family time. I only have two more questions and then I'll let you go. So I want you to imagine you are... 179, turning 180 soon. You're sitting in a rocking chair overlooking maybe the ocean or a mountain or whatever you love and kind of contemplating on your life. What do you want to see and have happen in order to say, wow, this was a good run? Uh, I think I should be mountain biking with my great, great, great grandkids. Um, because remember, it's at least 180, and fuck the rocking chair, if I can just say that uh, real straightforward. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool. Last question, and that is, we're all about sharing tools, journeys, but at the end of the day, I want the people that are spending time with us to take action in their own life, to create something that they are proud of, to create their own success, their own happiness. What's the first thing they should do right after this show? I would suggest that you focus on sleep of all the things you can do. If you can get a higher return on investment for the time you spend to sleep, you're going to sleep anyway. You might as well sleep really, really well. That would be one of the easiest things because if you do that right, you'll make more electrons the next day. Your brain will work better. Your emotional stuff will work better. Your spiritual side can be better. It's a, a very high return on activity. Activity. I don't mean sleep more. I mean sleep better. And I'm going to suggest... Go to daveasprey.com slash sleep challenge because I didn't plan that sleep answer, by the way. I didn't know I was going to mention this, but I'm putting on a sleep challenge that starts in a few days. So people can can go there and uh, sign up and then I will teach you over the course of 14 days everything I know about sleep hacking. And most of the stuff you read online says how to hack your sleep. It's derivative of some of my original posts on how, what's really going on with your sleep. Not just the science of it, but what do you do to go to sleep faster, to stay asleep all night long, to wake up feeling better because I was such a crappy sleeper. So if you can do that one thing tonight, make the bedroom dark, make sure that you black out your window, put foil up in your window if you have to, but make it so when you wake up in the morning, you can't see anything and watch what happens to your quality of sleep. Unplug all the little blinky lights and crap like that. Put your phone in airplane mode, turn off your Wi-Fi, see what happens. And that alone, if you do that every night, can make you a better human being. Love that. I mean, I love sleep. We're from Sweden, known for our amazing mattresses, all natural. You know, I yeah. I love sleeping. And uh, I think it's super important. Uh, Dave, um, I'm honored that you were able to be our 200th guest. It's kind of a full circle moment for me. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Uh, thanks again. And uh, anything we can do to support you, uh, I'm still going to go to Bulletproof uh, as much as I can, enjoy uh, my days getting better and being more energized. So thank you, and we appreciate you. 
Peter, thanks for having me on as your 200th guest. I really appreciate it. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. And thank you, everybody that listened to this show and that you're still here with us 200 episodes in. You know, I'm so grateful for uh, you and that you're taking your life seriously and want to do something amazing. Uh, please help us grow. And I have a big mission. I want to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. I can't do it myself. So share this podcast with somebody that needs to hear this message, go to my website, ilovesuccess.co, sign up to get these episodes. There's 200 episodes now with amazing game changers. That's it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop. Just like Dave, we're looking forward to a long and happy life. So thank you so much. Virtual hug. Mm -hmm.